Chapter 10 Thursday, June 6, 1776 The People of New York Why the people are magnificent in their carriages, which are numerous, in their house furniture, which is fine, in their pride and conceit, which are inimitable, in their profaneness, which is intolerable, in the want of principle, which is prevalent, and in their Toryism, which is insufferable. That is a letter from Patriot Colonel Henry Knox to his wife Lucy. Lady Seymour was the first to leave, followed soon after by the gentleman in the library. Lockton and Madame retired upstairs, releasing Ruth for the evening and leaving me with the cleaning up. For supper we ate the remainders from the plates of ink-stained and gold buttons, cold tongue and brown bread. Ruth ate three bites, then laid her head down on the table. When Becky left for the night, I held my sister's hand and walked her down the steep stairs. Our bed was a thin mattress stuffed with old corn husks in front of the potato bin. I helped her out of her skirt and removed my own. Just before I blew out the candle, I asked, Why were you crying in the parlor today, before Becky and me came in? Did Madam hurt you? Her eyes puddled with tears, and she shook her head from side to side. No foolin'. Did you play or fuss? Was Madam angry with you? Did she hit you? She sniffed and wiped her nose on the sleeves of her shirt. Shh, she said again. That wretched woman beat Ruth. I just knew it. She would beat Ruth into total silence if I let her. I kissed her tears and we knelt to pray. When we finally lay down, my fingers felt along the edge of my blanket, looking for the rip that Mama had sewed up with tiny feather stitches. She wouldn't let anyone hurt her children. Where's my baby? Ruth muttered, half asleep. She asked this every night. That bad man stole your doll, baby, I reminded her. The skinny one who stole us, he took everything. Everything? I hugged her close. Almost everything. But I'll get it back. Don't worry. Just go to sleep. I can't sleep without my baby. There was a stubborn note in her voice. I'll make you another doll, I promise. But not tonight. Want me to sing to you? I didn't wait for an answer, but started in on an island lullaby that Mama had loved. Ruth lay quiet, her breath steady and slow. By the time the song was over, she was fast asleep. I waited a full hour until the clock struck eleven, then slipped out from under the blanket and put my skirt back on. I did not stuff my feet into my shoes. I'd be faster and quieter without them. I climbed up the cellar stairs, freezing with every groan of the old wood. If Madame or Lockton came across me, I'll say I'm on my way to the privy. They couldn't be angry about that. A body must follow the call of nature, even in the dead of night. The kitchen was so dark I walked slowly, my hands feeling in front of me so I wouldn't bump into the table or knock over a pitcher on the sideboard. I paused at the back door. The sound of locked and snoring came from above like faraway thunder. I'm on my way to the privy, I reminded myself. No harm in that. I carefully opened the door and stepped outside. The night air was crisp and smelled faintly of salt. I tiptoed down the back steps and flew past the privy and around the side of the house to the gate, which hid in shadows. My heart pounded so loud, I felt sure it would wake the entire street. I had only to open the gate latch and step out. My hand would not move. If I opened the gate, I would be a criminal. Slaves were not allowed out after sunset without a pass from a master. Anyone who caught me would take me to jail. If I opened the gate, a judge would order me flogged. If I opened the gate, there was no telling what punishment Madam would demand. If I opened the gate, I might die of fright. I leaned my head against the gate. I could not open the gate, but I had to open the gate. The house was not a safe place. I had to get us out, but there was no way to get out. 
No way to run away off an island. No way to run with a little girl. The secret of Madame's linen chest was the only key I held. Watch over me, Mama. I opened the latch, slipped out the gate, and ran. I thought it would be easy. I would run straight to the shed behind Bellingham's house, tap on Curzon's window, tell him the news, and hurry home. It was nighttime, after all, and folks would be asleep. Not in New York. Not in a city occupied by the Continental Army. At the end of the block, there were soldiers on watch in front of City Hall, a dozen or so men standing around a campfire with more dozing on the ground. One man, sorry, one man was trying to read a letter by the fire, firelight. Another was roasting a small piece of meat at the end of a stick. Their guns were close at hand. I crept as close as I dared, but there was no way to sneak past them. I swallowed hard and turned around to head east, away from the firelight. The next corner was dark and lonesome. I turned south, then west again, then was forced north for three blocks by loud soldiers spilling out of taverns. The crowded buildings confuddled me. I tried to be brave like Mama or Queen Esther in the Bible, but I just knew there were hobloggins a-walking in the dark, looking to steal the breath from a girl's body. I hid when I heard voices and when a horseman galloped down the middle of the street. The horse's hooves sparked off the cobblestones and sounded like a hammer striking a forge. I chased up and down streets and alleys, sticking to the shadows and shying away from the flickering street lamps. I ran. Finally, the street emptied out into a wharf. I had reached one of the two rivers that sheltered New York Island, but I couldn't tell if I was looking at the East River or the North. I ventured out farther into the street. Relaxed men told loud jokes to each other on the waterfront. A tin whistle played, and a small dog yipped. The mass of ships grew thicker to my right. That was my heading. The shapes of the buildings and the outline of the wharf soon became familiar. There was the dock that the Hartsborn had tied to, and there was Bellingham's building. I snuck down to the alley to the shed window that Curzon described. That was the end of my quest. I took, of my, I took a deep breath, said a prayer, and rapped on the glass. Nothing happened. I started to rap again, then stopped. What if this is the wrong window, the wrong house? What if the person within thinks I'm a thief in the night or a murderess? What if country? A puzzled voice called to me from the shadows of the black back end of a tavern, a few buildings down. Every window in the tavern was lit up, and the air loud with the angry shouts of men deep in argument. Are you speaking to me? I said, trying to keep my voice from shaking. What are you doing here? Curzon stepped out of the shadows and motioned for me to join him. I dashed toward him, keeping to the edge of the tavern candlelight. I have news. Of Lockton? And more. I quickly told him everything I had seen and heard. Is the money still there? He finally asked. A portion, I said. The gentlemen took some with them, but Lockton placed the rest back in the chest. Then I was to fetch some more wine. The chest was gone by my return. He nodded gravely. Will this be enough to send us home? I asked. Can they get us on a ship tomorrow? I can have Ruth at the docks by sunup. He raised both of his hands. Go home and sleep. I'll take your news to Master Bellingham. I expect the committee will visit Lockton tomorrow. Whatever you do, don't let on that you were the informant. Why not? I asked. How else can I claim what's mine? The colonel will know who you are and how to find you. Until you hear from him, you're just the new Lockton girl. But not for long, I said, trying to sound braver than I felt. Not for long, he agreed. Go home now. I hesitated. I don't know how. I got lost coming here. He chuckled softly. It's easy enough once you know the way. He gave me the directions. Thank you, I said, picking up my skirts. Thank you for everything. Go quick. 
When I was halfway up the alley, he called after me. Ho there, country. What? Well done.